Hello, everyone. My name is Mark LeBlanc, and I happen to be the chairman of Indie Books International, and it is my distinct honor and pleasure to be the host of our podcast for this episode of Marketing with a Book. Not marketing your book, but marketing with a book. At Indie Books International, we believe that uh, marketing with a book uh, that your book can be the gateway tool to doing more of all of the good work that you are called and compelled to do. We also believe that speaking, uh, either for fee or um, for no fee in front of a target-rich audience, uh, arguably could be the ultimate uh, marketing strategy. And everything else we do uh, supports those uh, two aims, the tool and um, the strategy. So uh, welcome to today's episode. Uh, we have an amazing guest, one of our authors, Julie Keys, uh, out of Minnesota, uh, almost in my uh, backyard. Uh, Devin, will you go ahead and uh, uh, pin Julie so that we can do an interview side by side? Thank you so very much. Julie, nice to have you with us. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. Thanks, Mark. You know, one of my favorite uh, podcasts that I was a guest on was when you interviewed me. Mm. And uh, uh, so I've been looking forward to this opportunity uh, to turn the table and get a chance to um, uh, interview you. Thank because you. you really have done uh, some good work out in the marketplace and you have a distinct uh, history of work and you've written a book titled Poised for Exit. But could you could you maybe just start by uh, giving us a bit of a window uh, into your world? Um, I would tend to call it your defining story. What, what got you from where you are to where you uh, are today? Well, as an entrepreneur for most of my adult life, I have lived with you know, or lived through, I should say, a lot of the experiences that my clients are living through. And when I went through my own transition, it wasn't the best experience. And so I decided that I wanted to become an advisor to help other business owners have a better experience than what I had. And that was in 2010. And so I started doing some business consulting work at the time. And then I learned about the Exit Planning Institute and I had started acquiring clients who really needed help in that space, but I knew I didn't know enough about it. And so I went and became certified in exit planning. And then uh, that's my foot forward now. The work that I do is, is all exit planning related um, for privately held companies. And I call it my circle of love mm -hmm. and the things that I do that are all kind of connected to that that vision of being able to impact as many business owners in my lifetime as I possibly can. Um, you mentioned, I mean, who knew um, that you could get certified yeah. uh, as an exit planner? Right. Uh, and that there is an association, and it's, I think, believe it's uh, EP, EPI, mm -hmm. uh, Exit Planning Institute. Mm -hmm. um, you've been recognized as a thought leader of the year twice. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was really an honor. Um, 
EPI isn't the only credentialing organization for exit planning, but they're probably the biggest. I think they're the best one. I like their methodology the best, but there are two others that would probably be considered pretty, pretty close competitors. And I think that EPI, um, uh, they knew that I, uh, the work that I was doing was really my life's work. And they knew that I was putting a lot of content out there. And so as we start in this interview, as we kind of start talking about that thought leadership and things that you want to do to create, create followers, I've been putting out a lot of content and in different ways. And they recognized that. And I think they also recognized the fact that I'm a woman and they don't have a whole lot of women who are certified exit planners. They have thousands of them, but not as many women as men and not as many who are actually taking a leadership role in the industry. And so they just recognized me for that twice, which uh, the second time I was pretty surprised. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and certainly well-deserved. Now, if I, if I understand correctly, mm -hmm. your work primarily is in financial services or are you helping entrepreneurs from all walks of life uh, grow and exit? Well, I wouldn't consider the work that I do in financial services, although I work with a lot of advisors who are. And so when it comes to the process of exit planning, it's complicated sometimes, many times, and it can be really time consuming. And most of the people who are at the table with a business owner in terms of their professional advisory don't really have the bandwidth or the desire to do the kind of work that I do. So when it comes to exit planning, there are a couple of distinctions that are kind of important to know. One would be the owner readiness side and one would be the business readiness side. And so the owner readiness side would be more that would apply to the personal financial preparedness and de-risking of the owner owners themselves. Um, in terms of like tax planning, financial planning, estate planning, um, contingency planning, things like that. Next act planning, like what are we going to do after we sell the business? Because there is life after business. And that's owner readiness. And so I help to coordinate all of that and bring in the different uh, advisors that need to be a part of that collaborative process. I don't do that work, but I help quarterback. And, you know, counsel the owner through a lot of that. And then on the business readiness side, I do a lot of that work. And that um, basically starts with a solid strategic plan. And so the implementation of the strategic plan and then allowing and working with other leaders to bring them up through the ranks, because many times it's going to be an internal transfer. And so we have to make sure that the successors are properly prepared and ready. Um, so there's assessment and all of that too. But Basically, that is what exit planning is in a nutshell. And then, like I said, bringing in the other advisors, the attorneys, the financial advisors, the CPAs, and um, working the process together so that the business owner achieves the best outcome. Um, how, I, I think for most of us, we would think of it as uh, a spreadsheet uh, type transition, uh, but I'm I'm guessing that there's, um, a lot of emotion that goes into transitions. Um, there is. It, it, it's, it's the most overlooked part of exit planning because most advisors don't want to go there. You know, uh, when you think about most business owners, 
Not all of them have been founders. Many of them have been founders, but most of them have been at the wheel for a really long time. And many times there's some kind of triggering event that causes them to transition from or want to transition from. Sometimes it's, it's a, um, a death or a divorce or a disability. You know, somebody gets sick or two partners are having a disagreement. We call that the five Ds, disagreement, divorce, disability. Yeah. Uh, disaster is another one, right? COVID brought down a lot of businesses, unfortunately, and many of them were not ready to pivot or transition. And so they closed down. And so that's why it's important to do these kinds of things ahead of time and work with someone like me ahead of time. And, and like I said, that the emotional side of it, like, what, what are you going to do? You're selling your business. Life is not over. We have to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you, would you say the, is there a, is there a ratio of, of those owners who transition? Um, uh, I'm not sure of the word uh, thoughtfully and uh, not due to a trigger event. Uh, versus those who have some uh, kind of D type event, um, mm -hmm. because I, I would think that when that happens, um, the danger is a lot can be left on the table. Absolutely, a lot can be left on the table, sadly, and preventable. But I guess the statistic is 45 to 50% of all owners will suffer from at least one of the five Ds at some point in their business life cycle. And, and if they haven't prepared ahead of time to, you know, any, some kind of contingency planning around that, then, then they definitely could fall victim to, um, you know, a bad, a bad transition or, or not having options. You know, no one wants to be backed into a corner and have no options and have someone else dictate how they're going to transition out. And no one wants a liquidation sale after they've been in business for 35 or 40 years. So, um, you know, protect that nest egg and protect that asset. And, you know, that, that's my advice. Well, um, my experience in the small business world is that a lot of small business owners often think um, they fall into one of two camps. They often think their business is worth a lot more than it is. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other businesses who have no idea um, they will they will downplay the value of their business. Uh, maybe if they're not as profitable as they want to be, uh, it's like Mark. There's no value here, and it's like, whoa, Nelly, um, you know, wait a minute here. You're you're not. They're they're so close to it that they're not seeing it. Right. What would you say would be the best point on the journey to bring you in or someone like you in? Um, uh, without a without a trigger event, let's um, say ten years out. Ten years out. Let's say ten years out. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because many uh, privately held companies owners have this vision that they want to carry on the legacy of their business, and many of them already have designated successors in their family or in their management team. They may or may not have had that conversation with them. But in their mind, that's what they're thinking. They really want to transition. And if that's the case, then we need to find out as early as possible if they actually are candidates for transition. If they're not candidates for being becoming the successors of the business, then it's important to know that earlier than later. Um, finding out, you know, when I'm ready to be out in a year and finding out that my son isn't interested, 
and I didn't know that because we never had the conversation means I have to kind of start over and um, figure out how to make the business ready for a third party sale. So, um, but, but, but five years, even if you have five, you know, that's better than, you know, that the rule of thumb with a family business is 10 years. 10 years. Yes. The rule of thumb with a third party sale, meaning selling to an outside party, not internally is five years. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say three, um, mm -hmm. so five years or even 10 years would, would I, I think be ideal. It really would. It sets it sets the owners up for the best possible outcome because they have time. So it isn't just about getting the business ready. Remember when I said that there's that owner readiness distinction as well? Well, if you're a tax planning attorney, you're going to tell your business owner clients that they need to start tax planning a minimum of three years out. Hmm. Well, you don't just start at the three year mark, right? You have to have conversations, meetings understand from your financial planning uh, experts, you know, what's the best possible path. And that all takes time, a year, two years, right? And then you can put those instruments in place, the trusts and things like that ahead of time to, to shelter yourself from tax when the time comes that you sell your business, because that's what we're all trying to do. It's complicated. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, you and I have met uh, in the last uh, five years or seven years, I believe. Mm -hmm. You may or may not know that I owned a business from 1982 to 1992. I do remember that. Uh, it was a creative and printing company, and I sold it at the, at the ripe young age of 31 uh, mm. after building it up um, over about a 10-year period. And I I sold it to pursue my dream of being a professional speaker and, uh, you know, business coach and an author. And, you know, uh, I closed in 1992 and yet it seems like yesterday. Uh, but it was, it was a complicated uh, journey or chapter uh, to get that business ready for sale. And even though I was clear on what I wanted to do afterward, um, you know, one of the one of the fascinating things was as I after closing, there were things that the buyer I didn't think did very well, mm. and that imagine that <laughs> and that made me angry. It was like, oh my, you're you're kidding me. You're you're going to do what? Um, yeah. But on the flip side, she did some things that were that I had never even thought of. Mm. And, and that made me angry too. It's like, why didn't I think of that? Um, you know, so so at the end yeah. of the day, I was angry, you know, both ways. But um, uh, but it was a successful transition, and certainly allowed me to move forward. Um, but but there was a real uh, letting go of something that I had worked so incredibly hard for. I understand. It is really hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think, when you think about the owners in transition, um, what, what tip would you have for an owner who's transitioning out? And what tip would you have for a buyer? Mm -hmm. For an owner, I would definitely have a very serious conversation with everyone who would be a stakeholder in an exit outside of your staff. Um, you'd have to have that conversation later. 
it's important to, to keep some of that stuff confidential because we don't want to scare people, right? <clears throat> but our family members, our spouses, our significant others are um, the people that, you know, we would deem as our closest advisors. Those stakeholders, even though they're not shareholders, still have a stake in whether the business succeeds or fails. And if you are, if you have someone that you live with, a spouse or a significant other, and you're going to sell your business, um, you're going to spend a lot of time together after that, right? So what does that look like? Um, just like you said, you had something all ready to look forward to. And that's what I encourage my clients to do. Um, talk to your stakeholders, ask them about, you know, not to get permission necessarily, but just, this is what I'm thinking about doing. You know, where, what, what do you think um, in terms of my future? Like, where could I spend some time making a difference? And it's amazing what kind of input you can get from people. I actually did that myself. And I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I wanted to hear what other, what other people had to say. And not one person told me that it was a bad idea. So I needed to hear that. And I think having something to look forward to from an owner's perspective is everything. Because when you don't have to set the alarm anymore in the morning, what are you going to do to remain productive and, and feel fulfilled? So... So that would be my advice for an owner and for, for an advisor. No, no, for a buyer, you said for a buyer, for a buyer, I would look to buy uh, companies that have a similar philosophy and core values. Mm. So we would want to make sure that um, if we're going to acquire a company that it's going to align well with our company so that the integration isn't really painful because bringing two companies together, whether I acquire you or whether we merge, regardless of what it is, um, the integration rates are extremely high in terms of failure, extremely high failure rate. And the reason is because they don't come together for the right reasons. And so um, putting that foot forward, which I know you know exactly about, um, is gonna, everything else will fall into place if, if you're putting that foot forward. One of the best decisions uh looking back uh, was we closed on my business on the Friday uh, of Memorial Day weekend. And I made the decision, even though I was clear about what my next chapter would be, I gave myself 90 days to, to really do nothing. Um, mm. I, I didn't start making plans in my new business. I, I literally took a 90 day vacation and worked on a few projects and hobbies, but had really had nothing to do with uh, the business I sold and did not put one toe in the water in my new business. And that 90-day period was a great um, uh, just time out uh, for me to uh, get some rest and relaxation. And um, uh, even though I was young, and now I'm this year, I'm celebrating my 30th year uh, in my current business and living the dream. Oh, that's awesome. That I had imagined. <clears throat> Taking that break is so smart, Mark. It's Not, so smart. It hasn't always been easy. No. And so I just, I want to acknowledge the good work that, that you are doing because um, it's so much more than numbers, numbers and sense. Um, oh. It can be a perfect storm of tangible and intangible. And 
You know, I've, I've done some transition work myself. Uh, mm -hmm. I was a licensed business broker in the state of Minnesota for a number of years. Mm. And, um, I find that uh, at times um, you really need to be a psychologist. <laughs> you need to, you, you could have all the business smarts in the world, uh, yeah. but if you don't listen carefully and respond appropriately, right. uh, it can, it can uh, be a very difficult a chapter um, in trying, I think you used the word quarterback. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you have to be a great quarterback to be uh, in the work that you're doing. I'd, I'd like to shift gears a little bit and sure. really, um, uh, not so much about your expertise, but I, I want you to tell us about um, your uh, business mm -hmm. as a consultant and as an advisor. Mm -hmm. uh, because if I do the math right, you said your transition was in 2010? It was, it was prior to that. It was in 2000 and I got my divorce in 10. Uh. Um, we sold our business in 2008. Yeah. And then I took, I was, I had a job between eight and 10 okay. and then launched my practice in 10. Okay. So you're celebrating your 12th year in your, mm -hmm. in your current practice. Mm -hmm. Um, how did the pandemic Im impact your marketing efforts or mm. uh, your business model or how you sell or how you're serving your clients? Mm -hmm. Well, I published my book through Indie Publishing and it launched in May of 2020. And I had numerous speaking engagements that all got canceled for the book launch. And so I ended up doing it online. Um, I had a kind of a decent turnout. It wasn't that great, but I, I did two different sessions, um, got a lot of good advice from Henry around that. And, um, and so we did that, but then I had been researching, you know, everybody had a lot of time on their hands and I had been researching how to launch a podcast, like how to do a podcast, how to produce a podcast, like what are the best, best practices, things like that for quite a while, um, during lockdown. And I thought, well, I can't do any speaking anywhere really other than online and I'm not getting paid for that right now. So I might as well launch the podcast now. My goal was to do it the following year as a, you know, a 2021 initiative. And I launched it in 2020 instead. So um, in June of this year, we had our two year anniversary of the show, which is super exciting. And it was a great move. It, it, that was one of the pivots. And then the others were um, just meeting with clients virtually versus face-to-face and, and that was an easy transition for, for the most part. You know, I have to kind of walk people through sometimes how to use Zoom, but um, now everybody uses it, so no big deal. <laughs> and, and, you know, we can all laugh about that because we were all there once anyways, right? So learning how to use this thing. And yeah, so, so I guess that, that kind of sums it up. Oh, uh, one other thing I did, um, and thanks to uh, Devin and Henry as well, on the recommendation to use uh, Kaleidoscope Media Services. They mm -hmm. helped me produce my first um, online self-paced course um, for business owners. I have an advisor one, but that's um, with another learning management system. And I don't really run that one myself, but the one I do that I did go through Kaleidoscope uh, with uh, was a great experience. And so that was another uh, project that I got off the ground that was literally on my strategic plan for almost eight years. I finally did it. Wow. Yeah. 
Your podcast, uh, how often do you uh, uh, do an episode or mm -hmm. a show? Every week. Every week. Mm -hmm. And I came into your studio uh, to be interviewed. And, but I, mm -hmm. am I, would I be correct in assuming that you interview people from around the country or do most mm -hmm. come to your studio? I'd say it's about a 50-50 mix. And I, I try to um, keep the balance as much as I can between business owners and advisors. Um, the content that we deliver is, is relevant for both. Um, you know, but my obviously my foot forward is to help as many business owners as I can. But the advisors who listen to the show are listening because they want to be better advisors for their clients. And that's always a good thing. And so I, I bring them on the show as well to talk about the different aspects of exit planning, share some client stories, you know, um, and then business owners to just share their story because we all learn as I, as I learned from you through National Speakers Association that stories are everything. So sure. um, one of the things that I admire about you and uh, both your book and uh, as I poured through your uh, website a bit, is the amount of detail uh, that you bring to what I would call uh, the profile of your perfect fit reader uh, or um, uh, the revenue range of the transitions. I noticed that uh, on your website. Can you tell us about specificity and how mm -hmm. that has helped you? And in some cases, has it hurt you? Mm -hmm. Well, um, if it's going to be a client that I'm going to work one-to-one um, -one with, then I'm looking for businesses that are somewhere in the lower middle market range, which means anywhere from maybe $5 million a year in revenue at the very, very low end to $45 million a year in revenue. So uh, large enough to be able to pay for services that I would charge for. Um, but small enough that they don't necessarily have a whole team of internal people that are helping them regularly. Like they do have leadership, they do have management, but the owner is still doing a lot of the work themselves and they don't have a whole lot of time to figure out how to transition. They probably don't have a board of advisors. Um, maybe they have a board of advisors, but they generally don't have a board of directors. So, um, so that would be, uh, as far as the business owner goes, would be my ideal client size. And then for the online course, I wrote that course because I really wanted that course to um, attract the smaller businesses that need the help, but don't necessarily um, have the financial resources to be able to hire somebody one-to-one. -one. So they can take the course and then from the course, uh, jump into a cohort and still get exit planning advice, but do it at the fraction of a cost. And then it's also meant for advisory firms to use it as a lead generation tool, as well as an educational tool for their current uh, list of clients who need to start planning for exit, but the advisors aren't necessarily talking to them about it. They don't really know the process very well sometimes. Um, and having the conversation is not easy, so they just avoid having the conversation with them. They get turned down right away, so they just move on to something else. And so I created the program, and it's actually a white label. It's a licensed product. So it would be branded in their, um, you know, their logo and things like that. It looks like their own product. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. uh, very smart. And I hope people are, are listening carefully because you're, 
you're sharing a lot of off the cuff clues uh, about about client or audience profile. You know, a lot of professionals are out in the marketplace. Uh, I I think of as market marketing by wandering around. Uh, they're they're looking for a prospect with a pulse and a problem. Right. And they don't they don't give enough credit or honor to understanding the profile of their right or perfect fit uh, prospect or client or audience. And you've done an exceptional job um, with that. I, I need to ask you Thank about you. a bold decision you made mm -hmm. regarding your book, Poised for Exit. Mm -hmm. a, a bold decision, at least I think it was bold. Maybe you'll say, ah, no, that was an easy decision. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but Poised for Exit is a great title. Um, but on the cover of the book, um, you talk about female entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that decision? Sure. Well, I have been one my whole life. And as I was researching um, different books that had been written on the topic of exit planning, when I was thinking about writing a book, I couldn't find anything that focused on women entrepreneurs. I, I can find very few books at all that are focused on women entrepreneurs, much less exit planning. And I, I just thought somebody's got to do it. So I, kn I knew that it would um, probably limit me in some ways from kind of the man's world that I'm in, because exit planning is primarily men. You know, business owners are primarily men, advisors are primarily men, but I didn't care. Um, I just felt I, I have to do this. I, I have a story to tell. I have my own story to tell. I have client stories to tell. And frankly, um, from what I know, from the people that I've talked to, most of the people who've read the book are men. So um, the process of exit planning doesn't change from male to female, but um, you know, there are different things when it comes to women entrepreneurism that um, nuances, right, that are different from what men experience. And I just wanted to address that and call it out because if men are reading it and men advisors are better understanding of what it is that they're going through, then maybe they can be a little more empathetic and um, understand when, you know, certain decisions are made in a certain way. Mm, neat. Well, I just want to acknowledge you because um, that you. is somewhat of a bold decision. And, and in, in, the, in the LeBlancian world, <laughs> a great uh, decision. Thank you. And, um, we are always encouraging people that the more focused you are, uh, the easier everything becomes. And it certainly helps you in aiming your efforts uh, out in the marketplace. You haven't used this term, but I would think of you, or uh, if I was going to describe you, um, I would describe you as a trailblazer. Mm. Because you really stepped into an industry and an area of expertise to your uh, acknowledgement. Um, there are not a lot of women doing uh, what you are doing. And uh, so uh, that puts you in rarefied air. Mm. Thank um, you. <clears throat> I'd have to say that that's really true. Um, I don't like to give too much credit to myself because a lot of other people have done great things and I just follow smart people around, like, you know, following you around. Um, 
I have learned so much from you and Henry. So um, you might not think I'm paying attention, but I am. Well, and so, yeah. And I think that that's our job in life is to do the best that we can with the talent that we have. And um, even if we're afraid, we do it anyway, right? There's an old book I read a long time ago called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Hmm. And uh, it made a huge impact on me. So in other words, you do things that you haven't done before, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to be afraid. You just don't let it stop you. Fascinating. Well, I will keep giving you the credit, even though you might <laughs> want to give yourself the credit. Um, you. I just have, I think, two questions uh, mm -hmm. uh, left uh, to ask. Uh, in approximately 12 years now, if um, is there an example of a marketing idea that you tried that ended up working better than you thought it would? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I'm going to keep it simple because I find that a lot of the people that I have um, done speaking and workshops for, when the advisors especially, because I've done a lot of that with advisors, um, don't don't do this very well, and that's networking. Mm. Um, now there's a lot of different things you can do to get the word out there on yourself. I think that having um, um, a purpose in being able to deliver value. And knowing that what you have to say is valuable is, is a good foot forward. And when you're networking, it isn't about how many people you can meet at an event, but it's about knowing as much as you can about the event ahead of time to make sure that it's actually worth your time. So I just call it purposeful networking. And that has made a huge difference for me in, in the work that I do um, because I, I try to meet certain people. I have conversations and when I say I'm going to follow up, I do. I try to leave the conversation with a next step so that uh, we're both understanding what, you know, this went really well. You know, um, what should we do next? Maybe you call me, I call you, you know, I'll send you this piece or you send me that piece, whatever it is. And then sometimes you meet people, well, maybe not so much, you know, it was nice to meet you. Um, but I think uh, going in with a goal of meeting three or four people when you're going to an in-person event is a, a great way to, to build your practice and it takes time to do, but just do what you say you're gonna do. If you say that you know, you're gonna invite them to an event or send them information, then do it. It's amazing to me how many people don't do things that they say they're gonna do, but, um, but don't be that person. <laughs> so I think that that has built, um, I always said my network is my net worth. Mm. And so I think that, um, that that has made a huge impact, just providing value and collaborating Right? No one ever has all the answers, but I think collectively we get pretty close. Nice. Well, solid gold. Um, Thanks. So thank you. Before, before I ask you uh, the last question, um, I think um, you might have something for our listeners or our viewers. Can you tell us what that gift is or what that might be? Absolutely. I would like to offer everyone here listening or uh, later on um, watching virtually uh, a copy of the ebook Poised for Exit. So we'll make sure and get that sent out to you. Great. Thank you so much. And Devin, if you would be so kind as to make sure that uh, Julie's website is in the chat box, uh, I would appreciate that. And now the question I love to ask uh, or close an interview with is, um, when you look back mm -hmm. on the last 12 years, there was a day one of this chapter. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you know today, 
what advice would you give yourself approximately 12 years ago on day one? Learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. Mm -hmm. okay. I didn't hear that one coming. Um, you're going to need to unpack that a little bit. Um, I will. I will. And I think that it's probably tied to networking more than anything. And the reason why I come back with networking is because of the work I do. You know, um, the work that I do as an advisor is a face-to-face -face as much as much as possible business, at least at some sometimes, right? Uh, working with other advisors and having them trust me and refer their clients to me. Um, building trust takes a lot of time. And there were people that I networked with and met with because I thought I just had to meet with everybody, you know, mm. and I didn't. And I wasted a lot of time not having an agenda, um, not really uh, narrowing down who it was that I really needed to network with. Mm. Um, and then not being able to say no when someone asked me and I knew that it probably wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm. Well. I, I love that. And I've always been inspired. You may or may not uh, know this quote, uh, but Warren Buffett uh, the, is known for many pearls of wisdom, obviously, is one of the greatest investors of all time. Mm -hmm. One of his quotes is near and dear to my heart. And it, it, is, it is his quote that successful people learn how to say no really successful people learn how to say no almost all the time. There you <laughs> and, go. <laughs> and that is just so fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, because as you, as you grow, as you become uh, more in demand, as mm -hmm. uh, you become more successful, there are more demands uh, uh, placed on you. And so the art of saying no and to be able to do it in a, in a gracious way um, is really, it's a skill, it's an art. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for your pearl of wisdom. Like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't ready, <laughs> uh, but I certainly was ready to be reminded of it. Oh, well, that's cool. Um, I think when it comes to saying no, you know, sometimes we think that, um, that it's a one-sided thing that we're trying to guard our time and, and, you know, we have other things to do that are going to be more relevant to our work or whatever, but it really isn't one-sided, you know? Um, you know, if, if you have the, the desire to, to meet and provide value and have good, meaningful conversations and connections, you want to make sure that, that's a, that it's a two-way street, right? So if you don't feel that it's going to be a good move for you to be there, then it's probably not a good move for the other person either. They may not recognize that, but you're saving your, both of you, right? Not just yourself. No, thank you, Julie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. That's great. And thank you for being with us today. Thanks and, for inviting me. Um, thank you so much, uh, our studio audience, for joining uh, me today and Julie. And uh, for those of you that are watching or listening to this episode uh, virtually, <clears throat> thank you on behalf of Indie Books International. And that is uh, our site is www.indiebooksintl.com, indiebooksintl.com. And if you are listening to this and you're not familiar uh, with our Indie Books Friends and Family Forum, we will be convening in La Jolla, California, the first weekend of March. And you can get more information 
on our site. Thank you again for joining us. And that is a wrap.